Well, this morning we're going to continue in worship in here, and um, I'm pretty excited. We're going to continue our series on Ephesians. So if you've been with us, you know we've been covering. We, we've just been going through massive amounts of scripture every week. Like, you can't hardly keep up with the reading plan. I've heard some of you complaining that the reading plan is too aggressive for you. Um, I told you last week that, that this week we're going to cover two verses. <laughs> so you could have read that while you were getting coffee this morning. All right. So anyway, we're going to do a couple verses, but they're big. So I'm going to ask you to kind of buckle up, you know, because there's a lot of stuff in here. Paul opens this letter to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, with just profound truth. Right? And this morning is, is it's kind of funny, but Paul kind of brings this whole thing to a culmination right here at the beginning of the book. And then he starts to expound on what, what the reality of Christ means for us. As we gather this morning, I heard a few, a few folks chatting about some things. And it's funny because in our culture right now, we have no problem. We love to share news with people. Like, right now with the social, uh, social networking rage that's going on, like, there are people who can't wait. I remember whenever snow days were coming up, uh, there were, there were m- multitudes, like tens of thousands of kids sitting at the keyboards, waiting, watching, waiting for the word, so I could be the first person to post the good news. I heard some of those people were teachers that were sitting there, <laughs> waiting, hoping, praying for some good news to share with the world. Right? I mean, there's something that we want to be involved in that, right? There's something. Uh, this morning we were gathering for worship, and I heard some folks chatting, and they're like, have you tried the newest app, which shall remain nameless? I'm not going to name it, because I'm tired of hearing about it, but everybody's talking about this. Have you heard? Oh, my gosh, I heard about it. My friend shared it with me. I can't believe it. I share it with everybody. Everyone's doing it. It's so amazing. And I'm like, wow. We love to be the bearers of good news. This morning, uh, I think about that, and I think about uh, whatever it is. Uh, sometimes the, the, the ladies' Bible study met at the office uh, Thursday, which was a blessing. And, and, and I know sometimes when that group gets together, that we, we eat. Our family group, we ate last week, and we're eating the food. We're like, oh, it's so good. Can you, can you give me the recipe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or here's where I get it. We love to share things like that. And, and I wonder, as we do, you know, Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, savor God's presence. And I believe for people who are doing that, you can't help but want to tell someone the good news. There's something that's so amazing, so alive, so invigorating, so redeeming, so sanctifying, so purifying, that you go, wow, you can't believe this God that I know. That, my friends, is something called euangelion. It's evangelism. It's sharing a good news, sharing something that you've come to experience so profoundly. And I don't want to be like negative Nancy, but, you know, we are evangelists for everything. But then we're like, oh, yeah, the cross. Like, everyone knows. I mean, do you? Because I think if you know every day the gospel that is saving you. You can't help but go out. You know, you'll be sitting with somebody, and they'll be like dumping, like, man, life's hard, this, that, and the other. And then the Spirit of God will start saying, tell them the good news. Tell them the good news. Tell them they're not alone. Tell them that I'm here for them. Tell them that I died for them. Tell them that I'm redeeming everything. I don't know if that's hard for you. Sometimes it's hard for me to do that. Is it hard for you? What do you mean you're a pastor? Everybody knows, right? 
People come to see me, they're vaccinated against the gospel. They've had just enough of it that they can't really taste it anymore. You know, just, you know. But you are out where Jesus lives. You are in the crowds. And God's Spirit is compelling you to share the good news like it's the greatest thing you've ever found. Well, this morning we're going to talk about that very thing from the book of Ephesians, but I'm going to ask you, as we always do, to join in prayer. I hope when you study the Bible and you don't just like open up and whip it out and read it, just talk to God. I say to you before, as someone who did not believe that God was there, I would say, God who isn't there, if this is real, show me it's real. I'll tell you what, God is a God who answers prayer. And you can pray that way too. Always enter into Scripture with prayer. Please join me. Father God, this morning we've come into your house to sing praises to your name to bring prayers, desires of our hearts, but fundamentally to lay it at your feet and say, not what we want, but what you want. May you be glorified. May we know you better. And may we become more complete followers of you, more in love with your reality, more knowledgeable of your taste, of your touch, that we can share it with those around us, Father. But first, that we can have it and know it so profoundly. I thank you so much for the folks you've gathered here today. You've compelled by your spirit to be here. And I pray now that in this time that we would allow you to work, that we would let your mighty hand move in our lives, that you could be glorified and we could be changed forever. We give you praise and glory today. Praise you for the inspiration of the word, the inspiration of your Holy Spirit among us. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to pick up where we left off, the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, <clears throat> and um, we're just going to jump into it. So if you want to turn uh, to page, it's going to be the same page for the next few weeks yet, but we're going to get on to 812, I promise. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Read it with me if you would. So here's what the word says. Paul coming off last week talking about how profound God's presence is. He says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's striking to me that this verse ends the same as we talked about last week, which is that, look at verse 12, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ may be for the praise of his glory. And Paul says, and, and so if you read this letter through, and we've kind of taken it apart in the chunks, but he's telling about what his experience is. And this is the great apostle Paul. This is the Paul that came to them as those who were worshiping false gods and started to teach them the truth of a God who is living, doesn't need human hands to manipulate him, and is present right now working to save you. And he brings this gospel himself, and he says, and it's, we live this way for the praise of his glory. And then he says this, he turns and says, and also you are included. You are included. I mean, if you think about the, the legacy of the church of Jesus Christ, the most profound thing about it, it was it has been handed down, right, generationally to miscreants just like you and me. I mean, I'm telling you, I was the guy that wouldn't come through the doors, of a church. And God's like, yeah, even you, he said to me, in the way that only he could, can become my disciple, can become my 
follower, can become holy and blameless in my sight. The gospel is being proclaimed to people. Paul says that it's not just for us, it's not just for the certain people, but it's for everyone, everyone who would hear it. I want to walk through this a little bit and talk about some things that we realize from the scripture. I hope that you see it with me. But it says this, it says, and also you were included in Christ when you heard the word of God, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I want to remind you that Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us what he believes is the gospel, okay? He says, when you heard the gospel preached, I'm actually going to share it with you here. Uh, from the screens. He says this. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I proclaim to you. This is the church in Corinth, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This is the good news of truth. He says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. He's saying there's other things to believe in besides the truth of the gospel. But if you believe anything else, you're wasting your time, your life. And here's what he says next. For what I received, what we've gotten, this is the same thing he says to the church in Ephesus, I have passed on to you as of the very most important, that Christ died for our sins. Look at what the word says. According to scripture. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Look at what the word says according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. He appeared to us, this God who loves us. For Paul to proclaim this message is interesting because, you see, Paul wasn't Peter or one of the twelve. Later on in Corinthians, he says, he then appeared to me, Jesus, as one abnormally born, born out of order, born in the wrong time, the wrong place. But he passes on this gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. These are the tenets of the Christian faith. This is why we have a cross in the front of our sanctuary this morning, our church house of prayer. Because this is the point of the gospel. Now, I want to notice something, though. I point out to you that says, according to Scripture, doesn't it? According to Scripture. Do you know why? God, God sending his son to live among us, to, to, to have him touch down on earth in human form, to, to bring the incomprehensible creator of the universe into a package that would come in a, as a human, let alone a child, let alone a ne'er-do-well child, right? Someone said something recently to me. They were talking about families. Uh, this was actually up in Minneapolis. They were talking about families. And I said, you go through Scripture, and you don't see any perfect families. Not even the one that God sent his son into was perfect. He comes like us, regular. Scripture reminds us that if we have seen Jesus, we have seen God. All his glory in this package among us. And then, as if that's not enough, when Jesus comes out, you know, for his ministry, God sends his spirit to rest on him and says, this is my son. This is the one. 
Paul says, the gospel proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's appeared to me as one abnormally born. The disciples, I'll remind you, we'll talk about this a little later, but the disciples, I'll remind you, were following Jesus as a great teacher and leader until the cross. We sang the song today that says, he suffered and died alone. Nobody goes to Calvary on the tree of Jesus Christ but him. The closest thing he had to a faithful follower on that cross was the thief who hung next to him and said, well, I deserve it, but you don't. And I'm sure if he had his choice, he would have been somewhere else that day. Paul says, this is the gospel. I want to point out to you that this gospel wasn't in a vacuum. It's not like Paul was like, oh my gosh, Jesus died. That's good news. No, he started to look at scriptures, scriptures being the first testament of God, the revelation of God and his Holy Spirit, that he was teaching his people. He was inspiring the prophets to talk about a time that was coming when the Messiah would arrive. And so when Paul says that the gospel he proclaimed is rooted in scripture, what he's saying is this, it's the promise of God to you. It's the promises that God made so long ago that he would redeem all things. That he would be both holy and just. That he would be both love and truth. And so Paul reminds us in the gospel that he preaches that not only do we have the promises that Jesus fulfilled, but we have the promises that Jesus made to us. Later on in the book of Ephesians, we're going to talk about the types of worship that we sing. I, I hope that you experience things differently. I hope that you listen to the words that you say with your lips as they come out. Because there are times that we have to acknowledge our own you know, lack of understanding of his awesomeness, his overwhelming presence, the reality of who he is. And there's times that we have to proclaim to him the promises that he has made about himself so that we hear them again for his glory and our good. You see, the gospel, Paul says, if you look at verse 13, you heard it and were included in Christ. That means you too. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Because for Paul, in the gospel is the truth and nothing but the truth. We've talked about this before, but it's worth visiting again for a brief moment. When the Bible says truth, it has one way to define it. A complete lack of lies a complete lack of sinfulness, a complete lack of deceit. There are times when you're around churches, if you're like me, and you think, this guy's just trying to trick me. He's trying to deceive me. He's trying to pull the wool. He's trying to manipulate me to get me to follow him or to give him my money or to do these things. And Paul says that the gospel that you hear and you believe is not one of human manipulation, but it's the Spirit of God proclaiming pure, unadulterated truth in your life, in my life, when God comes by his spirit proclaiming the gospel, it's pure and blameless and perfect. And I got to tell you, it cuts, it hurts. It says it separates bone from marrow because he's in there. He's calling us forth. He's calling back what's his. 
The gospel is the truth proclaimed. There is no lies in it. And I want to share something very practical with you. I want you to let this set in your soul, and I'm going to let it set in my soul, and I'm going to remember, and I'm going to pray by the grace of God that in the moment I don't do this, we don't have to cheat to share the gospel with people. We don't have to lie to share the gospel with people. Now you think, well, what kind of a Christian would lie about the gospel? But let me tell you, you know how it is. You're sitting with somebody, and they're hurting, and you want to provide some kind of a soothing balm, some kind of a a better way, some kind of a human invention about a, a way you can move forward without God. I was thinking this morning about the fundamental sin in the Garden of Eden, and, and you know what it really was at its root? It was that Adam and Eve traded this direct, loving, present, heavenly father walking beside me in the cool of the day relationship for the, the theory that they could get it somehow without him. And you and I have that same temptation in our lives. We're setting and we want to go, yeah, but that's not what he meant. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. We become apology. We become apologists for God. I don't mean apologists like explaining if you're a theological kind of a person. I mean apology makers. I'm sorry my God is so offensive to you. I'll try to make him better. God, please be a better God. You know, this is ridiculous. But we do this, and that's lies. It's deceiving people. The gospel proclaimed is that the almighty God of the universe created his, sent his son to die for all of creation and in the resurrection proclaimed the power that he had over not just creation but death and rebirth and renewal and, and everything. And it's not limited in any way. So this is Paul's good news and for you and I, church, we have to know that God don't need us covering up for his mistakes because he hasn't made any. And when we get ourselves in the snare of trying to make the gospel more palatable, that you don't have to believe that Jesus is the way. You don't have to believe that the, that the sense in your soul is the spirit of God compelling you toward creation. When we apologize that away, we remove the power of the gospel and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He died for truth. The second thing that we'll see here in verse 13, so it says, you heard the word of truth, the word of no lies, the gospel of your salvation. And I want to say something here real quick because I was one of those guys, okay? And this is a point of frustration for me. But everyone will hear the gospel. Everyone will hear the gospel, right? I mean, a lot of times when people were talking to me and I was a non-believer, I would, I would use this argument, people. They would come and they would say, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he's the only way? Do you believe all these things? And I'm like, you know, what about the tribes that haven't even heard the gospel? How do they get saved? I would say things like, what about Gandhi? Well, Gandhi was a good guy, wasn't he? What about him? You're going to send him to hell too, right? These, these kind of logical constructs against the almighty God. But the, the crazy thing is about the proclaimer of truth is that in our very questions, we get it wrong. Let me tell you why. Because when that person is standing in front of me asking me, do I believe the gospel? What I'm doing is I'm trying to deflect to over there. You see what I'm doing? I'm trying to say, it ain't about me, it's about that other guy. Guess what? It's about me. It's about me not wanting to respond to the question. And I use everyone else as my excuse. 
in the moment, the question is being asked of you. The church in Ephesus, Paul writes to them, and he says, listen, Ephesians, you also were included when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This means that you have heard it proclaimed. You have heard it proclaimed. And everyone will. What about those people over there? First of all, we assume that we know something about God's revelation that he doesn't already know. Does that make sense to you? This is a little heady, but I'm going to try to get around it real quick, okay? Here we are, God's created beings. Here is God. Everything else that we can't even imagine yet, like our dreams we haven't dreamed yet, God is there. And, and here we are, this finite little being. And we say to one of the finite little beings who has experienced this God, who is so eternal and amazing, we can't believe it, and we're talking to this person, we go, oh yeah, well, what about that guy over there, right? You know? And this guy's like, oh, I don't know, that's a good point. Maybe we got this all wrong. And God's up here going, What? I say we should get the right things, first things first. We're assuming that we know something that God doesn't know. We're assuming that, matter of fact, I could quote scripture, but I'm not going to, where, where it says these things, that God reveals himself to all people so that no one can stand before him blameless for, for not accepting his truth, his lack of lies. It's got a really cool caveat we'll get into later. Second thing is this. Um, it not only says that we assume we know something God doesn't know, but we then, here's the key, we then take from these little bitty stools we set on in life and we put ourselves above God. And we not only say that this is impossible, we say that God is wrong, that he's not good, and we judge God. And that's exactly the opposite of what scriptures say God is about. It says that he will be the righteous judge that in the day that we stand before his holiness, his holy, overwhelming presence, the one who spoke, the one who created us, the one who had that spirit trying to compel you against your own sinful humanity to come toward him, that that one on that day when he judges us, and i got to say this, church, even if he condemns you, you're going to know that it was a right judgment, that he is not wrong in his decision-making. Does he know, yes, but, 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 because you're going to know, we talked last week, the truth that will close mouths. So it puts us in the judgment seat over God, which is wrong. And then lastly, like I said earlier, it avoids the fundamental question, which is this. <laughs> Do you believe? Do you believe? Because that's the question that we're all trying to avoid. This, my friends, is called evangelism, euangelion, bringing good news. Okay. Now, I want to point out something that in verse 13 where he says, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, your salvation. The first thing he says in the next verse is this, our next sentence is this, having believed, having believed. I'll remind you that back in verse 1, 1, he said, this is letters written to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, those who are believing. I'll remind you that a few verses earlier, he said of himself, um, that he was the first to completely commit. Where is it at? I'm going to find it real quick here. It says, um, verse 12, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ. Paul says, and I said that last week, he says that we completely commit to him. 
We have given everything over. And for Paul, this is a big deal. He had many other things he could believe in, but this is a big deal. Having believed, they've become saints. Having, you know, hung their hat on the cross of Christ. Having, having made it their home, their relationship, their all in all. Standing firm, he said, in the promises of the gospel has made them saints and holy and blameless in God's sight. Now, here's the catch, right? So the question then comes to us, do you believe the good news? And, and this question seems unfair to people. Because they're like, I just woke up this morning. I'm not even ready. I don't know, you know. The question will be answered by each one of us. The thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it asks us to make a decision, to, to make a choice, to believe or to not believe, to choose to, to have faith, which I will say is a gift of God in itself. And yet it doesn't remove this reality that everyone, we said earlier, everyone will hear the gospel, and, but everyone will choose how they respond to God's absolute truth, to accept it or reject it. It will be a decision that you will make in your life. Paul stood there as a, belie as a, a believing Jew, as a holy man, as the one who was out persecuting those heathen Christians. He had all the righteousness. He would, he would put all of us to shame with his integrity, with his motivation, with his purity, with his lifestyle, with his zeal. And Paul said, I have thrown all that away, and I've put all my claim in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a huge conversion for Paul. It's a huge reality, a switch that he made. And therefore, because we know this, I want to remind you that the things we're reading in the book of Ephesians are written to those who have believed the promise of God. And I want you to know that, that these promises, that what we have in Jesus Christ is for those who are, quote, having believed, having believed. Does that make sense to you? So, We've got the gospel proclaimed. We've got a choice we've made. And, and, we're, and, we're, and we're then either following or rejecting the Messiah, the God, the, the God that was planned for since the very beginning, the solution to the problem that we have created in our own sinful desires. Well, here's the next thing that he says. Read with me. Still, still all the same verse here, but read it with me. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I want to stop there for a minute. You are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. There's something that happens in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ that you are marked by him. The, the word here actually says you were sealed by a mark. Or you were marked with a seal. It's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Like, what do you mean I was, I was sealed by a mark or, or, or marked with a seal? In the moment, when you hear the gospel and you believe by the grace of God, it says that in that moment, God has imputed to you, he has given you this mark, this seal that I think is hard for us to get our heads around. And so this morning, I wanted to show you something that's kind of cool because I think that we don't often think of these things. <clears throat> but the idea of a seal was this idea that, that you were going to be um, delivering something 
I mean, get this in your head, that God has a purpose for you besides the one that you've invented for yourself. That maybe the best plan in your life isn't the one that you have right now. And this idea of a seal being marked on us or impressed upon us is, is the idea of having a letter carrier. And so I'm just going to think for a minute, because we talked last week about that God predestined us to be saints in him. So I'm going to think about this for a moment. Think about his son who was baptized and the Spirit came to him. And, and that God puts these fence posts around you and he says, this one is mine. I would say that even works against the Spirit that wars within you, that compels us toward him. The Spirit says, no, you are God's. You will worship him. So, perhaps, I'm pretty sure God has better handwriting than mine. How would God sign it? Maybe big, I don't know, maybe small. Maybe he would put a dot. Maybe something like this. This one is mine. Why? Because you heard the Evangelion, the good news of your salvation. And having believed it, God says, yeah, this one is mine. So you have this letter. We've talked about that, these kind of fence posts around our life. And then we, we have this moment, this promissory note from God. By the way, I'll remind you that this is the promissory note that God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Correct? That he, he made good on what he said he would do. But then here's this last part of the promise. And it's the seal. I'm going to try this. And I've got to be honest, I have not tried this yet. So we'll see how this works. But I've, I've seen this done. I've never done it. And I don't know if this is going to work. I'm pretty sure we've got everything that's wrong here going wrong. So we'll see. But there's this idea that God is claiming us and is giving us a gift, a proclamation, and a reality to live into in our lives after we believe in Christ. Paul, when he came to the church in Ephesus, he asked them, what baptism did you have? And they said, the baptism of John, which is for remission of sins, right? Repent and know the kingdom of God is near. And Paul said, you need to be baptized in Christ and receive his Holy Spirit, that the promise is fulfilled in you. And so he writes the letter, and he seals it. And I don't know that I, I mean, I'm thinking about this whole process. I'm thinking, like, why seal it, you know, for a day to come? And then the last part is, it says the seal somehow marks us. I think about Jacob when he wrestled with God. And he walks away with a limp and a new name. I think about the promises that God makes to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And, it, and there's this idea that he takes and he, not only does he seal us, but he takes and he puts his unmistakable mark on us. That's crazy. Why would God do all that? What's the point?
There's this reality for those who are sealed in Christ that God says, this is mine. You know what he says about this? This one's untouchable. You know, this idea of, of a seal or a mark of God is this idea that he has uniquely stamped us with his holy name. It means three things. It means that we are, that God wrote the letter in our soul that says we are heaven bound, right? That the Holy Spirit he pours out is for that purpose, that we know that we are his, that we know first that this is God's letter from God. And then the second thing is that on the journey, on the way, no one has the right to break it. That it's, it's waiting. It's an eternal promise. And then the last promise is this, that on the day, on the day when we stand before God, he'll be the one that opens when it's delivered. It's for his eyes only. It's for his knowledge only. And sealed up in this is all the promises of God. I want to remind you that Jesus himself is the one that said of the Holy Spirit, I, I would stay with you, but it's better that I go because if I don't go, the Father won't send the promised Holy Spirit. You know, Paul says here in verse 14, or 13, marked with the promised Holy Spirit that God has given us, a deposit for the journey. All right. So we're marked by God, and it's a seal on us. Even when we don't believe that, it's a seal on us. But then the last is that we have a guaranteed inheritance, a guaranteed inheritance in him, that there's that time coming that we will be uh, completely pure and blameless in his sight. I want you to see that the promises come from Father and from Son. And I want you to remember that Paul in the church of Ephesus, he said, you have been marked as well in Christ. That's pretty cool. A sure thing. So, I want to do one other thing today. And uh, there was this, you know, experience that, that Jesus um, had with his disciples. And, and uh, there's a recording in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke 22. And it says that Jesus and his disciples, they reclined at a, at a table together and had a meal. And I, I wanted to share this with you today because he says something pretty, pretty amazing. I'm going to invite you to pass this around and just take one, one of those. He says in scriptures that he's going to eat with the disciples one more time. And then he says, and I'm not going to eat with you again until I eat this meal in heaven. Interesting that he says, I will not taste the fruit again until it reaches its fulfillment in heaven. And we talk about um, the manifestation of God's presence, the reality. Um, how he comes to us in ordinary ways. And uh, like children, right? And I'm going to read this verse of scripture for you because I want you to know that what, what 
Christ began. Was the start of a promise that had been made so long ago and will be completely fulfilled. As you pass those around, listen to what the word says. He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Because I'll tell you this, I will not taste it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves, because I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it, and he said, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the last thing he says at the meal, he's hanging out with all of his followers, and he says this. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new promise made in my blood, which is poured out for you and for me. Today, as we remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want us to acknowledge all of those realities. I mean, there's so much in there, right? but of his presence, of his coming to earth, of his great love for us, of his sacrifice, and of his sharing a simple meal with those who would believe. I'm going to ask um, the band to come back up, if they would. And uh, you can hang on your communion. Are you guys ready? You're not ready. We're going to pray as they come up. But we're going to pass around the elements, and then after we sing our final song, we're going to receive communion together, okay? Please join me in prayer. Father God, this morning we've come into your house to know you better, uh, to know you more fully. And Lord, in every way there's this spirit working within us, compelling us toward belief, compelling us toward your truth. Today, Father, as your word is proclaimed, I pray that we would have the audacity to hope that you are fulfilling promises, not for someone else, not for those other people, but for us. And Father, we come with a lot of stuff, a lot of baggage, a lot of things, and I pray today that we could be like your children, just pure and blameless, and say, yeah, I'll take some of that food. I'll receive the gift. I'll taste and see that you're good. May you be glorified as your disciples sing as we continue to worship you today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.